Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Churches in Revelation and Revelation 2. He said, Jesus says the same thing in every one of them. He says, I know your deeds. I know your deeds at this church. That I know your deeds. And the thing that hit me was that, it didn't make me afraid, but that Jesus actually <clears throat> does see. He stands in the middle of every church and sees everything that's going on. I mean, Jesus stands in the middle of this fellowship. I don't care how small, how big a church, he stands in the middle. He sees everything that's going on. But the thing is, instantly, why is it that we will tilt towards the negative and say, uh-oh, instead of going, isn't that beautiful? Yeah. I mean, because we still have that something where we lean towards fear. We lean towards the concern of being judged and being wrong more than we expect goodness. And this is what I mean. You've got to get your head right, man. You've got to get your mind right. Anybody ever see Cool Hand Luke years ago, a little movie? You've got to get your mind right. You do have to get your mind right. I mean, you really, that's why it says be metamorphosized, be renewed, you know, change. Go from one condition of existence to a whole brand new level of existence. And that only happens through the transformative power of God's word. As you look into this as if it were in a mirror, like Corinthians says, so that you begin to see who you are in him, in him, in him, in him. You know, even this morning, I, I'm, like I said, I don't know where I'm going to go this morning, but I'll just trust the Holy Is it okay to trust the Holy Ghost just a little bit? I think it's probably correct and wise to do so. No, you know, of all the teaching about in Christ, in Him, you know, I've taught it for years, read it for years, quote-unquote, have a bit of understanding about it. But it, became, it just got loud in me this morning to actually understand really this thing that when we teach, it's called the principle of identification. But to really know that God actually, really hear me, if you're born again, God actually really does see you as inside Christ. It's like, you know, it's like if my jacket, if I was to put my jacket on, I mean, it's, that's what we did, We've, we put on Christ. And you have to understand what that means. See, remember, he did it for us, everything he did. Well, if we're in him, listen, if we're in him, which the Bible says between who you read 143 to 146 times, it's in scripture that in him, in Christ and so on, in him, and we live in those, that statement, that truth, all through scripture is trying to get people over and over again to understand, listen, we're not just us. I said, you're not just, you're in him now, you're, in him. you're in him. He's all around you now because you're in him just because of grace and you your belief. You're in him. In other words, so when he died, you died. Right? I mean, this is what the whole Pauline epistle. I'm crucified with Christ, yet I live. Nevertheless, not I, but Christ liveth in me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. See, he did it for you. If he did it, you don't have to do it. But what you are called to do is believe that he did it. Yeah. I mean, it's so simple. But please, you see, you've got to really wake up to this. It's like this old statement. If I asked David Powell to go downstairs and move my car, I give him my keys. He goes outside. I tell him to move my car down the road one block. He comes back. He gives me the keys. And then I get up and I go to go out and then he says, where are you going? And I say, I'm going to move the car. And David says, you don't have to move the car. I, I, I just moved it for you. No, I know, but I'm going to go move the car too. But you just had me move the car. I know, but I, I, I'm going to go move the car to where I told you to move it. But I moved it where you told me to move it. I know, but I'm going to go move it to where I told you to move it. And, you know, that's, that's the kind of conversation God hears every day yeah. because he keeps, he keeps seeing us try to do what Jesus did for us. You, you really got to catch this. We need to get serious about this. If he did 
stuff, if he did what he said he did, which I fully believe he did, then there are some things I must stop trying to do. I said there are some things you and I must stop trying to do. If he did them for us, then the whole principle of all the that's what scripture teaches. It's called this, again, the principle of identification. My identity is now in him. It is in him that we are to live and move and actually have our being. I'm in him. In him, I'm right, I'm in right standing with God. It has nothing to do with whether or not I was a good boy today or a good boy yesterday, yeah. or even if I'm going to be a good boy tomorrow, yeah. I'm in Him. And my Father sees me in Him. Yeah. So for the Father to deny me would mean He'd have to deny Christ. Mm -hmm. And He's not going to deny Christ, Christ because Christ is a son. But in Him, we are all sons and daughters of God. So He'll never cast us off. So we've made it. Hallelujah. We have made it. In Him, I'm whole. In Him, I'm healed. In Him, I'm wise. I have the mind of Christ. Your lives are hid in Him. I'm telling you, we must reawaken to this. I can just feel such a strength of God's anointing and, and truth about this. We have played around with spiritual information for a long time, but sadly it has not gone truly to revelation. It hasn't actually gone to where I get it. He can't see. This is, see, this, as I say it, it's going to shock and upset some people. He can't see evil in me because I'm hid in his son. I will never, the scripture categorically says, I, because I'm in Jesus, I will never come up for judgment. I am already justified. I, no matter what I do, I can't work up any greater salvation. I can't get more saved. But I am already in Christ simply because of faith, not of works, not of works. But see, lest some people freak out about that, remember when that kind of love, when the day star, like it says, arises in your hearts and you actually see that, you don't want to go look for an opportunity to sin. You don't. It's, that's that Because that's, Remember, I've said it so many times, the goodness of God breaks the power of the attraction of darkness. The more you give yourself to Him, the more you give yourself to His light, the less attraction darkness ever has on you. I am not attracted to sin like I used to be. Honestly, I mean, you know, you all know my testimony being a drug addict. I was attracted to getting high. Listen, I'm, I don't know if you know this, but I'm actually a man. Yeah. <laughs> when I was young, I was attracted to people called women. Isn't that incredible? It's amazing. I thought about women. Like none of you other guys did. Amen? Because you were all born holy. No, I'm just saying. But, uh, you know, but the thing is, you know what I'm trying to say? When you, yeah, oh, boy, the, the men's hands are back there. Look at the men's hands going up. I tell you what. Oh, all right, that's enough. That's enough from the diaper gallery, man. That's enough. No, but what I'm trying to say, you see, honestly, to, to really, you, I got to put in simple terms. I mean, you know, when you're young as a man, you know, your hormones are racing, what have you, you notice every chick that walks by. I mean, you do. I mean, you're, it's like it just comes with the territory. And I know women are perfectly holy from day one, and women never check out. Man, I understand that, ladies. I'm fully aware of that. I know that you guys are perfect. You're a whole different animal. 
blah, 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 blah. But the fact is, I mean, the simplicity is what when you see God's love brings sanctification. There's something called a, you become more and more set apart. You're set apart. All of a sudden, distance comes between that old stuff and it's you're separated more and more from it until you you know there's just that dies he it actually it goes you know paul said it this way you habitually put to death those things because your desire becomes greater towards the things of god and you simply no longer see for like as a kid when you're 18 year old kid you don't see a woman as, a, as something to to get you know to have conquest with you know what i'm trying to say you don't see a car you don't see whatever it is you don't see stuff like you used to see it you don't see like and, and this is this has to work through all of our lives and even like now like i love our musicians so much but one of the i was sitting here this morning one of the things i so love about our guys up here every single person that was up here this morning why i love them so much and those who weren't like david i know david wasn't up here this morning what have you but you know, I, I know in my spirit why I, God loves them so much, but I know why God's blessing is increasing upon our worship is because they're really, I do not perceive, I could be wrong, but I don't think so. I do not perceive one iota of ego. What I mean is, I, I know David's not striving to be made known to man. I know Angela is not sweating you know, being recognized to be on Americans got whatever, Britain's got talent. You know what I'm trying to say. I'm not, and, and you know, Antonia, as young as she is, she is such a delight, you know, to hear how the Lord uh, is quickening her spirit. But there's, but do you understand how important that is? In other words, it's not about, it really isn't about me. Something has happened. There's been a transference of, of, of understanding. Somewhere along the line, these people have, have done whatever took to be done where, okay, you know, this really isn't about me. Um, I actually be, believe in God, and I'm going to learn every day a little bit more about, about how to yield a little bit more. I'm going to yield, yield, yield more of me to God. I'm, gonna keep, I'm just going to keep yielding because, listen, you're guaranteed the victory. That's the glorious thing. Thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. Always. Always. But you're in Him. You're not your own any longer. You're not your own. You're His. And you're in Him. And He is a good Father. And this is why, again, over and over again, you have to be... You know you're in a wrong place if people start talking about judgment more than they talk about goodness. It's all about His goodness. It's all about His goodness because good is more powerful than evil. So God, I think, knows that. And that's why the way God destroys evil is with good. That's what Romans 12, the last verse says, Be not overcome with evil, but overcome master evil with good. But see, He's trying to do that to you. He's actually longing to master every, any lingering bit of darkness that might still be in your soul because, you know, we're all still in fleshly bodies, aren't we? Any lingering bit of whatever it is in there, the way he's going to overcome it is by showing you how good he is. He doesn't use evil. Do you hear me? He does not use darkness to heal you. He doesn't, you know, like, some, well, God will put your finger in the fire to teach you. No, he won't. That's a devil. That's a, that's a devil's lie. You know the old story, you've heard him say, well, God got, had me, I got hit by a bus so God could teach me something. No, God doesn't use buses to teach you. He doesn't hit you. All those years ago, I remember saying, God, don't, have, don't teach me by having me get run over by a bus. I'll be happy. Teach me while I'm sitting here in this chair. I'll be happy to be taught right here. I will have ears to hear. But you're in Christ. You, gosh, I don't know. I, can't, I wish I could somehow take what's in my heart right now and put it on some screen. You're in Him. You're not in your... Yes, you're you, but you're in Him. He sees you. It's like if you're inside a Challenger tank. You're inside that tank. And 
the enemy sees the tank. He doesn't see how weak you are. He sees how strong that tank is. He sees all that bulletproof armor. Yeah. Well, see, that's how God sees you. He says, you know, you, you are the Ark of the Covenant now. You know, I used to love that aspect. I, love, I used to love to think on that when I teach on it. You know how in the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, like, like what happened with us and what have you, if, you, if, if, you, if anything that was not sanctified, of course, everything wasn't, nothing was holy back in those days as, unless God had made it. So but what I'm trying to say is, remember, if anything touched the Ark, they died, right? It flat died, didn't it? I mean, it snuffed, died. I don't care what it is. Touched that Ark, died, because the Ark was what? The presence of God. But see, to me, it was so simple when I woke up to the fact where three places in First and Second Corinthians where it says, don't you understand you're the temple of God? That translates into, don't you understand today, you're the ark. You're the ark of the covenant. His life truth is now written, engraved upon the fleshly tablets of your heart. You're the ark. When God sees that, he still sees the same thing. In the reality, he says, nothing dark is going to live when it touches that ark. But see, if I don't see that, then my lack of knowledge allows destruction. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. We all know that's Hosea 4.6. Isaiah 5.13 says, my people go into bondage without knowing it because they don't recognize my ways. Matthew 6.33, the classic of all verses, seek ye first the kingdom. That literally means find out how the kingdom functions. And then he says, and then, and it says, when that fight, find out how the kingdom, seek ye first the kingdom of God, his way of doing. It says his way of doing and being, yeah, there you go, his way of doing and being right. See, when you find out his way of doing things, then it says right here, Anything taken together, all the everything that the Gentiles want. Yes, worldly things. Doesn't make any difference to God. He says, they will be added to you. All you have to do, those find out his way of doing stuff. That isn't that simple? God help us. <laughs> Again, it's so simple that we need help to misunderstand it. And so we go to theologians. Or we go to psychology, or we go whatever. I, I knew I didn't. Well, what? Anyhow, I want you to see something. I, Father, help me get in it. I'm going to read verse four again. <laughs> Got to look at the clock already. So that okay, I thank my God at all times for you because of something, and I thank God because I believe this to be true about every one of you in this fellowship. I thank God for you. Because of the grace, the favor, the spiritual blessing of God, which has blessed God been bestowed on every one of you in Christ Jesus. That's how I see you. That's how the Father sees you. He sees you as already just overwhelmingly blessed with the favor and the spiritual blessing of God. Verse 5, so that... In other words, and this is what happened because of that, so that in him, see, you're in him, right? So that in him, in every respect, yeah, even in that area, in every respect, you have been enriched in full power and readiness of speech to speak of your faith and complete knowledge and illumination to give you full insight into its meaning. Now again, that's one that you could you could just dig into a whole lot more, but he's saying, see, this is what you had this again, Jesus found in the scripture where it was written about him, remember? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Hmm. His spirit and his soul, right then. He woke up, he discovered. People don't like that, but that's the truth because he had, he had been stripped of all his Godhead powers. He was a man operating under the unction of the Holy Ghost, just like you and I have to wake up. He had to wake up, and that was the moment in time when he saw his heavenly calling. You can argue with me, but when we get to heaven, God will say Rod was right. <laughs> just so you know. Just want you to know. Anyhow. 
and this is who you are. And you have to see who you are, and then you have to homo legale, confess, speak the same thing, homo the same, legale, what God has said. We have to speak the same thing about me that God speaks about me. I have been enriched in full power and readiness of speech to speak of my faith. Verse 6, in this way our witnessing concerning Christ the Messiah was so confirmed and established and made sure in you. Now this is this next, well this verse I want you to catch really important. Like I said, the whole thing God spoke to me about why I want to pre preface what I want to start soon is this is when I said that the Lord said to me that too many of you think too little of yourself. You don't really, you don't, you really hardly determine the worth that you carry at all. You don't realize who you are because of everything that has happened or hasn't happened. We let stuff define us instead of God. We let incidents or experiences define us. And that's never supposed to happen. Yeah. Verse 7 says, I want you to understand this, that you, you, everyone in here, if I could, I could call every one of your names, you are not consciously falling behind or lacking in any spiritual endowment or Christian grace. Now this next phrase I'm going to camp on just for a bit. The reception of which, the reception of what? A spiritual endowment or Christian grace. Now watch this. The reception of which is due to something. It's due to the power of divine grace that you're allowing to operate in your souls. It's according. <laughs> it's due to the power of divine grace you're allowing to operate on your soul. Grace wants to do something to the way you think. What God has done in Christ, grace has come. Law is over. Grace, undeserved favor. All those other wonderful definitions. Yes, I know there's several. But grace is supposed to change your brain. And being used by God, discovering who you are, as it were, is proportionate to how much you allow yourself to be transformed by revelation of how good God is for you. See, you have to awake unto righteousness and sin not. That's 1 Corinthians 15:34. In other words, in righteousness, right standing. You have to wake unto the truth that you have right standing right now, because that's what keeps you from screwing up. And then he goes on to say, and I, he said, I say this to your shame. Uh, he says, for some of you lack the sense of God's presence. Put up 1 Corinthians 15, 34, just real quick. For some of you lack the sense of God's presence. See, you think God's presence has to do with some tingly feeling. Awake from your drunken stupor and return to sober sense in your right minds and sin no more. For some of you have not the knowledge of God. You are utterly willfully, disgracefully ignorant. That means you don't have the information you don't receive. And you continue to be so. You lack the sense of God's presence and all true knowledge of Him. I say this to your shame. Paul's saying, you know, I don't want to say this, but he said, guys, your problem is you don't have a sense of God's presence. You don't know that you're in Christ. That is God's presence. <laughs> I said, that is God's presence. And see, this is why things are hindered even in our church at times, because again, like old Brother Hagin said all those years ago, we don't mean to, but we become very, we, we want, we're looking for the spectacular instead of the supernatural. We don't understand that it doesn't have to be spectacular for it to be supernatural. Like I've always said, the greatest supernatural manifestation I've ever known is when God's love comes into a place. That is supernatural. When suddenly you know no man after the flesh, like he said, you actually see God's worth on every individual. You look in Astrid's face and you see God's adoration for her. You look into Gosha's face, Denise's face, Nate's face, all, and you just begin to go, my, my, God loves David. 
God, I mean, oh, I mean, he literally is the apple of God's eye, and you begin to see them like that. And then when somebody does mess up, that's what makes you quick to forgive them. You don't hold it against them. You don't call four people and tell them what you just witnessed that they did wrong. <laughs> you don't do that. You said you just like God. You know, you, if you see a man sin a sin not unto death, ask and God will give him life. You say, Father, give him life. I know that you love him. He just made a mistake. Give him life. Do you know how much better it is to live like that? I'm telling you, I mean, that's where Christianity becomes hardcore. Where that kind of love is found in manifestation. So, yeah, I love, I want the Holy Ghost power. I want the spectacular. I love, I don't care if we, you know, we have buckets of oil, start magnifying like Ray Sherman, that place happened in Arkansas. You know, multitudes of supernatural healings. I want all that. But at the same time, like I said, what will really aid all those kind of things in happening sooner will be when we actually recognize there's nothing more supernatural than just the grace of God in Christ Jesus that has saved you. And the love of God that I can walk in every day, that I can first believe, like First John says, hearing it, believe the love that God has for you. Believe the love that God has for you. Because then it's very easy to love others. And it still is, you know, God is love. I don't know if you ever heard that before. <laughs> no, but, you know, God is the one that changed everything. God is the one that looked at the earth and saw everything going on, and, you know, explained everything Paul, through Paul, basically all the difference between the Abrahamic covenant and the law, why the law was brought in to show the, the actual horribleness of sin. But all of that was to bring us to Christ and while we were dead in sins and trespasses, he is so big in his love, he said, I'm just going to love them out of death. I'm going to love people out of death into life. Hallelujah. That's what he did to me. Loved me right out of the penitentiary. Loved me right out of heroin addiction. Loved me right into the kingdom of God. Did the same with you. I kind of, I'm, I'm grateful. <laughs> I'm kind of grateful about all that. But you... All, every one of you, what I'm trying to say is I wanted you to see that every single one of you, not one of you is falling behind or lacking in any spiritual endowment. Back to verse 7. But all of these spiritual gifts, they're going to actually manifest in your life according to, proportionate to this, the reception. You, what's reception mean? To receive. For you actually receiving the power of the divine grace that has come to you in Jesus. And it operating up here, your soul, mind, will, emotions. Remember, suke, that's what it means. The soul means the mind, the will, and the emotions. I need, you need the fullness of what God's grace means and what it is. You need that operating in your mind and in your will and in your emotions. And then you see... There's just something that becomes fluid about the gifts of God, the gifts of the Spirit working in you. Because you're really, quote-unquote, as it were, you've been, because of what his, you've stepped into his worth. I said you've stepped into his worth, which is far greater than your own worth. And I'm trying to tell you, you see, I, yes, he wants us to live lives worthy of him. I agree. But you first have to really begin to see that my worth now is in his worth and his love that he manifested to me. That's where I find my worth. I'm pretty jive valuable. I really am. But I had to wake up to that because all my life I was told you're a dirty dog, you're violent, you're going to spend the rest of your life in prison, you're a drug addict, blah, 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 blah. And they, you know, and they kept bringing up the past, bringing up the past, bringing up the past, bringing up the past. You'll, I never forget who you were. I remember where you came from. You came, run, 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 all that stuff. And that's why the revelation of a, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, is mind-blowing when it actually happens. I am a brand new man. I am simply not the Rod Anderson that was a drug addict. I'm not... The Rod Anderson that used to hurt people. I'm not the Rod Anderson that did any of that. I'm a brand new Rod Anderson. Amen. And you are brand 
new. No matter what your quote unquote testimony is, it doesn't make any difference, small, big, other, it doesn't, you know, it has nothing to do with that. It has to, the revelation of God's grace operating in your mind, your will, and your emotions. So that's important. You need to see that, okay? Now, let me just go on to verse 8 and a few, and then I want to jump down all the way to, uh, I think, around verse uh, 19. But right now, I'll just read verse 8 says, And he will establish you to the end. He'll keep you steadfast. Oh, that makes me happy. Because there's sometimes I don't feel like I'm standing very secure. But he said, I'm going to keep you steadfast. See, I, that's what I do when I read the book. I read the book and I read this stuff about me. And I read this stuff about what God does for me. You're going to keep me steadfast. He will establish Rod to the end. He's going to keep Rod steadfast. He's going to give Rod strength. He's going to guarantee my vindication. God is my warrant against all accusation. All indictment. That's why I'm going to be guiltless and irreproachable in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, my Messiah. Hallelujah. God is faithful, verse 9. He's reliable. He's trustworthy. And therefore, he's ever true to his promise. And he can be depended on. By him, he says all that. Then he says, by him, you have been called into companionship and participation with his son, Jesus Christ, and that, what that means is it's the same thing about being in him. The guys, he said, all of this about you, but he says, don't you understand? You've been called to be right in the middle of all this glory. You're in the middle of this. You are in the middle of this. Verse 10, but I urge and entreat you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in the perfect harmony. Learn to get into full agreement in what you say, and that there be no dissensions or factions or divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in your common understanding. See, this is why we all need to get on the same page. Now, like I said, there's a million teachings here, but let me jump all the way down to um, verse 18. Verse 18. For the story and the message of the cross, Paul says, a guy dying on a cross. For the story and the message of the cross is sheer absurdity and folly to those who are perishing. Everybody don't know God, they're outside of church. That's stupid to them. It's, it's sheer absurdity and folly to those who are perishing and on their way to perdition. But to us who are being saved, now that's an important way. Uh, to, thing to see there because the, what the, I don't have time to go into the quote unquote teaching of it but the Bible teaches that we are saved we're being saved and we will be saved <laughs> so the moment you accepted Jesus Christ you were saved hallelujah I mean you, your ticket's punched you're going to heaven but then there's the working out of your salvation and that's what he's speaking to speaking to right there where he says that about you're those who are being saved and then we will actually experience ultimate salvation when we find ourselves in eternity with Christ anyhow for the story and the message of the cross is sheer absurdity and folly to those who are perishing and on their way to perdition but to us who are being saved you know what that's the manifestation of the power of God this cross issue for it is written verse 19 I will baffer baffer I will baffle and render useless I'm going to destroy the learning of the learned, the philosophy of the philosophers, the cleverness of the clever, the discernment of the discerning. In other words, all those people that are out there who mock church, who mock God, who think that their principled university degrees and documents on a wall make them sharp. It has nothing to do with wisdom. That has to do with the accumulation of information. The accumulation of information does not make one wise. It can make one knowledgeable. But that doesn't translate all the time into wisdom. Remember, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. For it is written, I will baffle and render useless and destroy the learning of the learned, the philosophy of the philosophers, the cleverness of the clever, the discernment of the discernment. I'm going to frustrate, nullify them. I will actually bring them to nothing. And he goes on and said, where is the wise man, the philosopher? Where is the scribe, the scholar? Where is the investigator, the logician, the debater of this present time and age? Has not God shown up the nonsense and the folly of this world's wisdom? For when the world, with all its earthly wisdom, failed to perceive and recognize and know God by means of its own philosophy, God in his wisdom was pleased through the foolishness 
of somebody talking about it. Through the foolishness of preaching, salvation procured by Christ and to be had through him, he chose that to save those who simply believed. Not who understood, but who believed. For while Jews demandingly ask for signs and miracles and the Greeks pursue philosophy and wisdom, we preach Christ the Messiah crucified, preaching which to the Jews is a scandal. It's an offensive stumbling block that springs a snare, a trap, and to the Gentiles it's absurd. It's utterly unphilosophical nonsense. But to those who are called, whether Jew or Greek or Gentile, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, verse 25 down, this is because, now I want you to catch all this because this is again relates to what I, why I'm trying to share this about, like I keep saying, too many people think too little of themselves. It makes no difference where you're from or what you've experienced. And verse 25, this is because the foolish thing that has its source in God is wiser than anything man has. And the weak thing that springs from God is stronger than anything that man has. Now this is, but where does that, what does that come into? I mean, where, what am I trying? Well, this is why I said like uh, a while back I made mention, do you remember the whole story again of Naaman the leper and how he goes to Elijah, but you know, Elijah doesn't even come out, sends a servant out, that kind of upset him because he's a mighty man of valor, general army, big bad dude. This dude was mighty, mighty, mighty man, but he was a leper. That means you can have everything the world says, but if you've got sin, because the leprosy in the Old Testament is a type of sin, that means, you know, that's, anyhow. But then what's, you know, the man of God tells his servant to come out and say, go jump in the river seven times. And, you know, that just blew him away, remember? I honestly, see, you really need to catch this, no matter how many times you've heard the story. Naaman, it says, went away in a rage. He went away in wrath. Why? Why? You know, I thought the man of God would come out and wave a wand over me and pow, you know, everything would change. My leprosy would go. He said, we're not far apart in Abana, better, cleaner rivers over back in Syria. He said, what is all this about? I'm not going to do something so simple. That's so dumb. How is dipping in water seven times going to heal me of leprosy? Something that's destroying my flesh, killing me, I'm going to die with. My family's going to catch it. Then God says, go jump in a river. What's that got to do with healing? Well, when the water jumping in the river didn't have anything to do with healing, but just following his God's wisdom and advice. Yeah. I said, following God's advice. Yeah. I said, following God's advice. So remember all then his servants kind of, they're all half afraid of him. It said, Lord, Lord, if he had asked you to do some really difficult thing that your intellect could figure out, would you not rather have done that? So why not? If he's asked you to do something so simple, uh, why not do it? And I, for me, I don't know what's my sense of humor. Like I said, I always watched him walking down to the river. And I watched all of the servants. It was, he came with this giant retinue of people, you know, a big entourage behind him. And he comes and he walks in the river. And I always picture, you know, because they're scared of this, this dude, one word, and they can be killed. You know. And he steps off in the water. And I always picture him thinking about it. Now, think about yourself. you got leprosy. All you've been, you know, you got everything. You're like the president's right-hand man. You know, you're the queen's emissary and all this kind of stuff. And some dude that doesn't dress very well, since some little dinky church is in some little bitty tiny house, comes out and tells you to go jump into Tim's. And you know, and you're walking out there and you, st and you well, what am I doing? This is dumb. None of this makes sense. None of this makes sense. Dip in the water? Jump in the water? What? This don't make sense. I'm talking about leprosy. I'm not talking about any little, little dirt getting off me from water and soap. And he goes out and he, you know, I always picture him, oh, but he goes ahead and says, all right. And I always picture him dipping. He goes down once, hmm, comes back up. And I always picture him going, and looking around and his, all his servants going, you know, because, you know, he's probably feeling a bit foolish. Seriously. Now, can you really put yourself in that and quit just listening to what you think is a sermon this morning? <laughs> Listen, seriously, can you picture that? Put yourself in it. What am I doing? Boom, goes down a second time. Oh, man. Think what must have been going through his soul. This is just dumb. What am I doing? This is too simple. It has nothing to do with it. Boom, 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 boom. Of course, he comes up the seventh time, and his skin was brand new. 
and the revelation hit him. But why do I say all that again? Repeating what I said a while back. We struggle because of our intellect. We want something to be so difficult that we can applaud ourselves when we finally grab understanding. But the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So if you believe you've been redeemed, you're supposed to say, I've been redeemed. And people all through church say, that's too simple. How am I going to get healed by just saying, I have been redeemed from sickness and disease? Well, how are you going to get healed of leprosy jumping in a river seven times? It's too simple. Well, I didn't make the rules. He did. He said, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So, you read the book and you find out what has Jesus Christ redeemed you from? Well, sickness, disease, pain, poverty, lack, spiritual death, confusion. I said he's redeemed you from all that. But see, if you keep talking about who you are in you, as opposed to who you are in Christ, you're going to prolong the disorder. I said you're going to prolong the disorder. See, God doesn't, I don't want you to prolong the disorder. It's not a quote-unquote, we're not talking about a faith teaching. Kenneth Hagin did not write Mark 11, 22, 23, and 24. God did. The prophet didn't write, let the redeemer of the Lord say so. God did. You, you need to see who you are. And, but then it comes down here to verse 26, and it says this, For simply consider your own call. And this is why I want you to catch this, and I'm going way too long with this, and that's all right, I'm going to wind up. I can't go anywhere near where it's going to go. But I really want you to catch it. I don't want you to think too little of yourself. Quit self-disqualifying yourself from the greatness of God. I said, quit it. I said, quit it. I'm your pastor. I'm telling you to stop it. <laughs> Quit self-disqualifying yourself. I mean, Tony said something about it. In her word that she brought. And again, it's like this woman up here, what is this weird woman named Angela said about lavishing again. You know, <laughs> For simply consider your own call. Listen, not many of you were considered to be wise according to human estimates. I guarantee you. When... People first heard that Rod Anderson was going into the ministry. There's a whole lot of people in my hometown that knew Rod Anderson. <laughs> you understand what must have gone through their head? Say what? I know who that dude was. I, I know him. I saw him on TV those times. I heard the reports on TV. Rod Anderson, BTO, the Kern County heroin operation has been arrested. Blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. I've read the court transcripts, meeting planes from Mexico, yachts full of bales of marijuana, you know, hundreds of kilos of cocaine and heroin, blah, blah, blah. For simply consider, brethren, not many of you were considered to be wise, according to human estimates and standards. Not many were considered influential, powerful, not many of high and Noble birth. Now that can be said of a lot of us in this room. Maybe some of you have been born of noble birth. I don't know. But I'm just saying, yeah. catch really. I don't care. I know that you may be quote unquote familiar with these verses, but really catch why Paul is so magnifying this. Why it's so important. He said, no, verse 27. God, listen. He says, this guy that was taught by direct revelation of Jesus, he said, God deliberately. That's part of his. He deliberately selected, chose what in the world is foolish to put the wise to shame. He deliberately chose what the world calls weak. That's weak, man. You go to church, yeah, you need a crutch. He deliberately chose stuff that the world calls weak to put the strong to shame. Verse 28, God also selected and deliberately chose what in the world is low-born, insignificant, and branded and treated with contempt, even the things that are nothing. He chose, listen, God chose stuff that the world calls nothing. You're nothing. 
You're nothing. You've got no education. You've got no this. You've got no that. <laughs> he deliberately chose things that were nothing that he might dispose and bring to nothing things that think they are. So that no mortal man should have pretense for glorying and boast in the presence of God. But here it comes again, verse 30. But it is from him that you have your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom from God. He revealed to us a knowledge of the divine plan of salvation previously hidden. It manifested itself as our righteousness. It put us, it made us upright. It put us in right standing with God and it became our consecration. It made us pure and holy. I said it made you pure and holy. Now I, I was trying even for the last moment this morning before I came to church, I was, uh, I just went up to my Bible program for a minute. I was, I was trying to find the class, just the verse that says, now are you holy? Uh, because people think, remember, the word holy is hagios. It's H-A-G-I-O-S, hagios. And, um, but every one of us are called hagii, which is translated saints. Remember, because that's how God sees us. If you're in Christ, this is Saint Antonia. Really, that's Saint Angela, Saint Ruth, Saint Astrid, even Saint Io, which is kind of strange. Saint David. Oh, my God. St. Andrew, St. Nate. Hey, that's cool. St. Nate. I can see the T-shirt now. St. Nate. St. John. St. Julie, of course. I live with St. Julie. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, you're a saint. Come. You're a saint. But see, listen. You really are a saint. Wisdom. You're a saint, brother. You're a saint. But now, I, I really want to catch this again. See, this is what it says. You've got to see yourself differently. Don't think too. In God's eyes, you are hagias. You're hagias. You're, you're holy. You are holy now. And like you've heard me say before, one of the definitions, well, when you look it up in Strong's or TWT, the word, it'll say something separated unto unique purpose to God. Right? But the other thing, and, but the underlying, you know, this is so funny to me. I love it. The underlying lowest root <laughs> definition of what it means is, is different. You're, see, every one of you have been made different. I don't fit in the world anymore. Of course you don't fit out there. When your children are really born again, they don't fit. They don't fit with how other kids live or talk. You're not supposed to fit. We're not supposed to try to fit. Our music isn't, and I, listen, I believe that God uses, quote, unquote, what we call in the music industry, you know, crossover stuff, believe me. But I'm not called to be like them. Our music isn't supposed to be like the world's. If you're trying to get your church music to be like the world's music, you've already screwed up. You hear me? But can you actually catch this? I'm different. I don't think like the world thinks. I quite like that. I don't think evil of those things. When people mess up, I don't look for a reason to laugh and celebrate it. I look, I want to pray. I want to bring life. If there's anything that smells like death, Julie and I want to bring life to it. It's, it's just, it's, I started to say it's our second nature, but it's our true nature now. And see, but that's who you really are. If the truth, if your heart could actually be laid bare right now on some giant screen, if you're born again, everything in you wants to help people. You see somebody in a wheelchair and you, you, God, and I've said it a thousand times, Lord, I want to walk up to him right now and see you heal him. A little child that's deformed or something, Father, I just thank you, because I know you can, I know you can. But, you know, my head's still so whatever, whatever. There's just so much doubt and unbelief in the atmosphere that stuff doesn't happen like we'd like it to happen. That still is the bottom line. And that's the reason is still why in so many other nations there's so much prevalence of healing and miraculous and powers. Because, again, they, there's something about, and I don't, please don't get angry when I say this. But just like we this morning we had this thing where the I.O. asked for the children to come up. Remember this basic truth. Children are born believers. They, you don't even have to be taught. They just believe. 
They don't understand doubt until we teach them how to doubt. That's a physiological, psychological, scientifically proven fact. Children learn how to not believe from us. We put fear in them. Don't, 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 don't step up. Don't, don't get up on that chair. You're going to fall. You're going to fall. And we, <laughs> we, we communicate fear. We don't communicate faith. And so, they, but, but children just believe. I said it just the other day, but you know, the moon is made of green cheese. Really? You know what I mean? It's like the problem, you know, like Wang and Sammy have, I mean, Wang and Tommy have a little, little Sammy, you know, he's so shy. <laughs> he's so afraid to take the mic. Are you kidding? <laughs> I mean, you know, there's just this want to. There's this something in a kid that I don't care what anybody thinks. I want to do this. I'm going to do this. You know what I mean? But see, because he has no, the thing, beautiful thing, Tommy and Wang, I mean, I, well, we're using Wang's back there. Tommy's not teaching him. He's out there working with him right now. But the thing is, you see, kids, when they know that they're loved by mom and dad, they just, whatever, they just boogie. They just do. And then, you know, when they screw up, if they have a good mom and dad, you know, mom and dad will talk to them about it. Okay, we're going to do this differently next time. And, but, you know, it's very sad when you have kids, the first thing you hear is, you idiot, you pow! You know, and the like so many people have been hurt and abused. Well, you know, just think of the spirit that has done that and therefore the spirit that their spirits have been exposed to and ultimately their spirit that their spirits begin to imbibe. This stuff is real, you know. But see, Except, Manuel mentioned it because we said it at the prayer meeting last Friday, except you be as a child, you will not see the kingdom. You've got to be quick to believe as opposed to so quick to doubt. The reason you're quick to doubt is because you give too much value to your brain and you get too little value to God's spirit at work in your spirit. Don't think so little. I really got to move on. I can't do it. Can I, well, actually, can, I, can you put up the message Bible? And just from verse 26 down to the end, can you do that just real quick? If you can, put up. Yeah. Look at this. All the way to the end of the world. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the quote-unquote brightest and the best among you. Not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? He chose, listen to this, He chose these nobodies. Everybody say nobodies. Nobody. See, a lot of people think, well, I'm just, you know, I'm just sitting in a chair here in a church. I've got, I mean, I'm just sitting in a chair. I mean, you know, I'm, I, I'm not worth anything. I re don't really have any value. Nobody really even recognizes me. And see, some people go through church, then nobody even says hi to them. And because of past wounds, that multiplies what they're already carrying. This is why I tell all of us all the time, find somebody every time to encourage. Your word, your good word can change an entire life, man. Your good word can change a day, a week, a month, a year. But God deliberately chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. Next verse. That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, right thinking, right living, clean slate, a fresh start, comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. And it finishes like this. That's why we have the saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. I just thought that's cute. Now turn to, turn to 1 Corinthians 8. And I think because of time, I'm just going to finish with this one verse here. I don't want you to think little of yourself. I want you to see who you is in Christ. Now this whole chapter, when I teach a love walk, I go through this really uh, thoroughly because, again, it's talking about two types of knowledge in the 8th chapter. In the Greek, it speaks of gnosis. You've heard me mention it before. Gnosis, G-N-O-S, G-N-O-S-I-S, and epi, E-P-I, gnosis. One, gnosis means just knowledge, information. Epi means a higher form, a higher level of knowledge. I'm going to read from verse 1 and try to read quickly. Father, please don't let me take time. 
Now about food offered in idols, because people were all shaken up back in the day because you know there's still all these idolatrous temples around and food was being offered to them. And there were restaurants right next to a temple and all these old time back then and these times, right next to every temple where there were sacrifices, there was basically what we call local little cafe or restaurant. And the very meats and stuff that were sacrificed were often taken right next door. It became a side business for priests. And they started cooking up the food. You know, I don't know if there's any jerk or not, David. I have no idea. But anyhow, you know, I don't know. I don't know about jollof rice either. So I'm sorry, man. I just don't know. But anyhow, you know, they had all this stuff right there. And so, you know, and there was this trip. Oh my God, shouldn't you know? And people were still legalistically. I don't know what if I do if this has been offered into idol. I mean, oh my God. But anyhow, just let me shut up and read. Now about food offered to idols. Of course, we know. See, we that are born again, we know. That all of us possess gnosis, just normal knowledge concerning these matters, yet mere knowledge, just gnosis, causes people to be puffed up, to bear themselves loftily, be proud. But love, affection and goodwill and benevolence edifies, builds up, encourages one to grow to his full stature. If anyone imagines that he's come to know and understand much of divine things without love, guys, he don't yet perceive, recognize, understand, zip. Or has he become as intimately acquainted with anything as he ought to or as necessary? Because to know God, you've got to know love. Verse 4, in this matter then of eating food offered on idols, we know, we know that an idol is nothing. It has no real existence and that there is no God but one. In other words, these, listen, we are supposed to know that stuff the New Age is doing, that stuff these occultists are doing. He said, there's, we know that that's no God at all. Because there'd be no God but our God. We, so we know that, but not all other people know that. He said that in uh, verse 5, he said, For although there may be so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many of them, both of God's and Lord's masters, yet for us there is only one God, the Father, who is the source of all things, and for whom we have life, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through and by whom are all things and through and by whom we ourselves exist. But it's verse 7. I've taught on it here before, but nevertheless, not really look at this verse up here. Not all believers, like I said, I could, we could go for hours. Nevertheless, not all believers possess this knowledge, and that's where it's epinosis, a higher revelation of what we're dealing with here. A lot of people don't know that an idol is no God at all. They still, their weak conscience, and King James says their weak conscience thinks that this is being offered unto a real God, and thereby their consciences are defiled when they do eat it. Well, I'm sorry, I'm reading what's down it. Nevertheless, not all believers possess this knowledge, but some, and this phrase, this phrase is the one that stopped me 23 years ago. It hit me so hard. This phrase, I mentioned it at the prayer meeting, but some, through being all their lives until now accustomed to thinking. Accustomed to thinking of idols as real. In other words, they weren't real, but all their lives they've been accustomed to thinking they were real. They still consider food offered to an idol as that sacrifice to an actual God. And their weak consciences become defiled and injured if they eat it. Again, this is a whole wonderful teaching when you really see everything that God talks about later. But this is the point I'm trying to make this morning about don't think so little of yourself. Listen, the word think is crucial. I said the word think is crucial. This is why you have to learn to catch thoughts, bring every thought into captivity of the mind of Christ. Every one of you in here right now this morning, everybody, I don't care who I could point at, You've been accustomed because of the way you're brought up, things you've gone through. You've grown accustomed to thinking about certain things that are actually not true at all, but you've been so accustomed to thinking of them as being real that they are real to you, and therefore they have power and dominion in your life. Did you hear what I just said? Seriously, did you hear what I just said? 
This is so important. This is the crux of everything Christ came to do. Why the renewal of the mind. Why staying in the book. My God, help us. You've got to stay in the book. You've got to stay in the book. You've got to look into the mirror. Because in the mirror you see you. The Bible, God's Word, the New Testament is a mirror. You look into this mirror and you see a reflection of who God says you are. It's not what your resume says. But you've been accustomed throughout your entire lifetime. If you've been accustomed your whole lifetime because you've had failure after failure after failure and you've taken upon yourself the identity that I am a failure. Well, don't you see you're bound, yourself bound by what you've been accustomed to thinking of your whole life. And so what that does is it totally diminishes and it destroys any it destroys any courage to step out again. It destroys anything that would allow you to have an impetus to go out and make it and to do this and do that. Because you keep reflecting on past problems, past failures. I tried it. It didn't work. I tried the Bible. It didn't work. No, no, no. The Bible tries you. The Bible tries our hearts. Don't ever think you're the one that's trying the Bible. I said the Bible tries our hearts. But the point is, I, this is I, I just, like I said, this is just an introduction message. See, we, it takes time for you to actually realize I've been believing a lie. I, oh, I don't know why with the manual up here, I always go back to the time we had a counseling time he and I, what, 15 years ago or something, when something wouldn't, you know, if you don't mind me saying it, but some, he was, some, whoever this guy was in music and whatever, and you respected him highly or something, and he said something to Emmanuel about, you fix my words if I said it wrong, but basically he said something, he said, you're good, but he said, you'll never be great, right? Yeah. He said, you'll never be great. You'll never be a star. Now think about that. See, that's the kind of stuff that, that's a curse. That's a curse. Remember, always a curse is a word. In the Bible, at its lowest common denominator, a curse is a word that has, that's, has pierces your spirit, goes into your heart, and you begin to take your identity from. I'll never be great. I mean, I'm okay, I'll play it, but I'll never be great. Well, it doesn't mean that you're going to be a superstar. But you see, I'm just trying to get you, please, you got to find out how the devil works. You don't accept evil reports. I said you don't accept evil reports. I don't care. And see, it's me. you may have been, I don't know what you've been accustomed to thinking of yourself throughout your entire lifetime. But God does, and that's why he wants you in a place where you're being taught the scriptures because it's God's word that takes, it reveal means, you know, to, revelation means, apocalypto, the word means to take the cover off something. And as you continue to put yourself in a place where you're hearing the word of God for yourself, where you're being taught the word of God, and where you're listening to the word at home, and you're, that's, it begins to take the cover off. You begin to see that was a lie. That's a lie. I'm not doomed to die from cancer. I've talked to so many people. My daddy had it, my granddaddy, and da 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 da. I know I'm going to have it too. But see, that's a lie. That's a lie. But being accustomed all your lifetime to thinking, then it's just natural to you, and you don't realize it, but you're actually exercising a spiritual force called faith. Faith attracts good stuff, bad stuff. So I want you to think big about yourself. I want you to think highly. I want you to get into the book and see who you are in Him. He is your role model. He is your role model. He it is that you and I are to identify with. In Him I am strong. In Him I live. In Him I move. I may not have my own ability, but I've got Christ's ability in me. I can do all things, see, through Christ. I can do things through Christ that I couldn't do in my flesh. But you have to actually say that's, but now I understand. 
Of course. In other words, when the moment your flesh tells you you can't, you have to just go, well, okay, my flesh probably can't. But can Christ in me do it? Yes. Or am I being asked by Christ to do it? If so, then I'm not going to say I can't. I'm going to say I can. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. See, you can, you can, you can have a new home if you need it. You can. You can have a new car if you need it. You can't have a new wife. You've got to stick with the one you got. I'm quite happy to myself. This thing has to, this thing has to learn how to think a brand new way. Please do yourself a favor and learn even what Paul said in Philippians. What, you know, we're told category, whatsoever things are pure, lovely, honest, true. If there's any virtue, if there's any praise, do yourself a favor, think on those things. Think on those things and the God of peace will be with you. So Father, we just thank you this morning. I'm asking you to do a super spectacular supernatural miracle by waking every one of our people up to see that they carry such incredible value. My God, you died. You, they carry so much value that you sent your own son to die for them. They're not called to live a normal life. They're not called to be, they're called to be different. They're holy. They're separated unto you. So I just thank you, Father, for a quickening, truly a rising up, an awakening to happen in our people. I said for an awakening to happen in our people, to awaken up to heavenly possibilities. You said in your word in the scripture, I'm going to rain down heavenly possibilities upon you. Father, that we might take advantage of every heaven-sent possibility that we begin to sense. So I do indeed pray, open up our spiritual eyesight. Open our spiritual eyes to see how you see us, how you see the issues around about us. You'll show us the way. You'll say yes to this, no to that, but we're going to hear your voice. So, Father, thank you as we step forward to define some of these positions that everybody in this church carries. Every single person in our church will be spiritually employed. They will see the gift and the grace that's upon them. And they'll begin to sense, my gosh, it's important that I fulfill this grace. In the name of Jesus, I thank you, Father. That's where the joy and the fulfillment of a Christian experience begins to happen. We go, wow, I got a job to do. Hallelujah. And I'm equipped to do it. I am equipped to do it. Nobody is called to be sitting at home doing nothing. Hallelujah. So, Father, I give you praise. These are beautiful people. This is your family. So show yourself alive in Jesus' name. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 